0: You are live with the App Show, Mike and Gray Williams uh, here. Our show is all about the world of apps and mobile technology. We've got a great program for you today. Uh, we will be diving into AI. We've got Carmi Levy coming on the uh, program in a bit. Uh, AI you know, infiltrating every aspect of our life uh, from technology to health. Uh, we're gonna be talking about an AI baby cry translator and you'll be surprised at uh, its accuracy. Wasn't the
1: plot to look who's talking?
0: It pretty much. Pretty much. Um a Regina woman who had a stroke got her voice back thanks to AI in a brain transplant. So we'll Ooh. uh we'll dive into that as well. And a humanoid robot that can actually fly an airplane just by reading the instruction manual. I don't I wouldn't want to be in that that airplane. I
1: Yeah. It- it, it seems like it's actually the plot to the sequel the movie to the movie airplane like
0: right <laughs> i I don't know it's it's a little crazy okay uh let's get into some of the the app news out there. This is an interesting one, and i it it just keeps coming up again and again, great you're on Facebook, I don't know how often you use it. I use it quite a bit actually I don't know why um but there's this thing that people keep reposting and it drives me crazy. It, it's like, don't forget tomorrow starts the new Facebook rule where they can use your photos. Don't forget the deadline today. It can be used in court cases and litigation against you. You need to post this, this post, copy and paste it. And, you know, basically saying, I don't give Facebook permission to use my photos. I'm like, I, and there's a surprising amount of people posting this, Gray, or reposting yeah. this. And you know, if you just did the simplest of searches, you would see that as bunk. It's been around for many, many years, and it just keeps coming up again and again. So when you sign up for these social media services, you have to remember, especially if it's free, you are the product. <laughs> like, yeah if you're concerned about this kind of stuff, read the 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 user agreement that you have to basically sign off on when you sign up for an account. They they are using your information, they're using your photos for their advertising and marketing purposes. And, And cutting and pasting this text into your Facebook feed is not going to prevent anything.
1: Yeah. It's so it's interesting. Though, like the the, the legal ease that comes with it is also kind of kind of fun. You know, um, it, when you actually search for it now, it brings up all of the privacy hoaxes that uh, that go along with it. Uh, you know, it, this is the perfect perfect example of that. So the the Dunning Kruger effect. Yeah. You know, where you're not smart enough to know that you're not smart. <laughs> this is one of those moments, right? Like, if, if you if you posted this, folks, I'm going to ask you to just take a quick look and say why did I not do the most basic research here to see if this was even a thing? And it's okay. I still love you. Don't do it again.
0: I, no, I, you know, I, I get it, right? You, do, you don't want your, your private information out there. I get it. But before you start posting or reposting this stuff, just do a quick search. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, take a bit of the text. Do Google is your friend. And just, and just look, is this legit or not? Yeah. You know, Snopes is a great website I go to to verify. Things whether they're true or not, although a lot of people uh, don't like Snopes because it doesn't help them validate their <laughs> their <laughs> opinions. But anyway, just do a bit of research. That's all. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a- another story. Do you remember Threads?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are we at this stage of bargaining now?
0: Oh my God! They, I mean. They had 100 million people sign up in less than five days. So Threads is a competitor to Twitter. And and I think a lot of people, they want an alternative to Twitter because a lot of folks aren't happy with how Elon Musk has uh, basically burnt it to the ground. It's called X now. Yes. Yes.
1: It's it's the X Twitter.
0: uh, Yeah. There you go. The X Twitter. So I think a lot of people were encouraged when threads came out threads uh, Instagram threads it's called Uh, basically you sign in to it it's kind of attached somewhat to your Instagram account if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken and kind of functions the same as Twitter but anyway hundred million people signed up for threads in the first five days I don't know how many ended up signing up overall but I'm sure it's in the hundreds of millions but they've recently reported an 80% drop in daily active users since the launch is that surprising? to You know what
1: you? this was. You know what this was. This was a gold rush. It was a land rush. It was like I gotta go. I gotta get my username, right? So I want to be the same as it is on Instagram. Gotta get that. So they've got that. Great. Cool. What is there to do here? None. I'm. I'm gonna tweet, tweets or I guess uh, th- threads from people I don't know. Uh, it's, it's this curated feed. I can. I can. I can go set up a chronological feed for people I follow. But who am I following? I. You know what Threads is to me? It's, it's the notification that a bunch of my friends have just signed up for accounts. That's what I've got in there. I posted a Thread. can't remember what it was.
0: Well, now, uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, who owns, is the guy behind Meta, which owns Facebook, Instagram, Threads. Uh, he's announced that they're introducing something called Retention Hooks. <laughs> to keep users on the platform that that doesn't he still sound letting him talk to people that that doesn't sound nefarious at all, does it <laughs> like seriously get their attention hooks <laughs> I, I, what you know Gray I think people only have a finite amount of time
1: yeah and there's there's nothing really new and interesting that's coming across from this. It's just here's an alternate platform where you don't have to deal with Elon which don't get me wrong is a great value proposition.
0: But, but it's, it's time, right? You only have so much time. And so if you've got so much time for social media interactions, sure, maybe you're not happy with um, Twitter. But at the end of the day, you're probably still on Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Threads isn't compelling enough for a mass migration to happen yet. Yeah,
1: I I can tell you a great retention hook. Can be like, yeah, twenty bucks a week. That's a retention hook. I'll I'll stick around for. But I'll I'll delete my Twitter account.
0: Yeah, it just comes down to time. How much time you got? You know, there's other competitors out there. Remember Clubhouse? (laughs) I do. What was that? Those were those were twenty
1: three of another podcast because of Clubhouse.
0: What what was (laughs) that? It was a social media platform, but it was like audio audio rooms.
1: Yeah, basically like a live podcast podcasty thing, and then within the first week, it was just all crypto bros and real estate. It was like I can't, I can't be here. I have to go. My, my people
0: need me. But again, it's time. So sure, yeah. these things come out, but then you've got to take time from somewhere else. Yeah, it was interesting. But- like speaking of time, um, kind of related, unrelated. I, I was down in Long Beach, Washington last week for a few a few nights, and I was out having drinks one night at a bar. And started talking to a guy, I guess there's a big kite festival on down there, because Long Beach mm. it's very windy, and yeah. you know they've got actually a bunch of kite shops, which is kind of fun, funny for a town that only has 1,400 people, but I guess it's the place to go to fly kites. And he's been flying kites for 25, 30 years. And you know in, in its heyday back in the '90s, you, know, over 100,000 people would come to this kite festival. And it's, mm. it's not like that anymore. And I said, "Oh, why not?" like well, this the kids aren't into it anymore i'm like oh why and he just goes the internet <laughs> the, the internet killed kite flying gray
1: the video killed the radio star the internet killed the kite star it's
0: yeah so again of life. yeah it's just you know these new things come out and it just it's a slice of time what is it taking mm-hmm. that slice of time from yeah and you know threads for example was it compelling enough to steal that slice of time away from twitter and clearly yeah. it is just It's not there yet, right?
1: You know where I did have a slice of time was I don't watch advertisements on TV anymore because of streaming except with the new streaming packages. They're asking for that slice of time back.
0: Right. Okay, we've got uh, a lot to talk about on today's program. A lot of uh, AI stories that uh, will amaze you and maybe frighten you as well. There's uh, an AI baby cry translator. Um, Some good stories here, a woman who had a stroke, got her voice back thanks to AI and a brain implant. And would you fly in a plane that was being flown by a humanoid robot that just read the, the manual? <laughs> you want to stay tuned for that. I, I don't think I would, but I don't know. Maybe that robot's better flyer than humans. Who knows? You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Got my uh, good friend, Carmi Levy, out of uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, to talk about some of the latest updates in the world of AI. Thanks for joining me, Carmi.
2: Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having
0: me. God, there's never-ending amount of AI stories going on and there's i mean there's some good stuff here this week uh let's talk about chat gpt first uh there's a story here chat gpt's cancer treatment advice is potentially dangerous a study has shown
2: yeah, don't be using it uh, to self-diagnose your cancer diagnosis. Uh, research from Brigham and Women's Hospital, part of the Harvard Medical Center, m- medical school, they, uh, they thought they would test uh, chat GPT to see just how effective it was at, at processing cancer diagnoses, kind of run it through the chat bot and see what kind of answers it came back, kind of like what you and I would normally do before we go see a doctor. You know, we Google it. We we Google it and see what we can learn. People are doing that with chatbots now. And so they want to see how accurate it is. And so they ran a bunch of cancer uh, diagnoses through uh, ChatGPT to see, well, what would it recommend as treatment? And they found out that 34% of what ChatGPT responded uh, contained incorrect treatment recommendations. So a third of the time, uh, ChatGPT was outright wrong. What's even worse, is 12% of the of the uh, responses about one in eight uh, had hallucinations so outright false information no links to accepted cancer treatments they're not even sure where they got that information from so we know that AI isn't perfect we know that it has a, a lying hallucinating going rogue problem uh, because it's particularly chat GPT has been trained on huge amounts of data some vetted some not Uh, and so which is fine if you're looking up I don't know transit directions so maybe you get lost but when you're trying to use it as a diagnostic tool uh, that's kind of frightening and I think this is a a lesson not only to the medical community that they really shouldn't be relying on this but also to you and me that you know if we think that we're gonna use uh, AI to you know give us uh, uh, you know uh, before we go see the doctor sort of you know go in armed with information uh, it's not always the right information and it can get us into more trouble so uh, be very very careful if you think chat gpt is going to be a really good addition to the medical toolkit probably not yet
0: i i'm just wondering about ai like when we talk about ai a lot of times it's it it comes around chat gpt for example mm-hmm. uh, do you think we're hitting a plateau now with how smart they are like how much more information can they ingest
2: I think we are. And I think the the initial model that was popularized by ChatGPT was basically use a large language model that has been trained on huge amounts of information gleaned from or hoovered, sucked up from the vast uh, Internet. Um, I think there are limitations. And because now ChatGPT has been in the public domain, in the hands of people like you and me and our listeners for the better part of a year, I think we're starting to realize that there are some very serious constraints on, on how it works. Uh, And you know we're learning those where those potholes are, and in many cases, um, individuals who have been researchers who've been tracking ChatGPT's performance in certain areas like healthcare, uh, finance, uh, public policy, uh, they report that the longer they work with the tool, the worse the responses get. In other words, its performance (laughs) is degrading over time. Exactly, because all of us are using it every day, and it's learning from that as well. So if and we're, we're messing and around we're, with it, then... yeah,
0: we're stupid. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I've been to baseball games before. Yeah. yeah. You know, hang yeah. around. Hang around to, you know twenty thousand people. You learn a lot about humanity.
0: Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm concerned. We use that word halluci- hallucination uh, a lot. Maybe listeners are starting to get familiar with it. It's kind of a romantic word for AI just giving really crappy information or yeah, responses exactly. yeah
2: it it lies it gets things wrong uh it messes things up in one case for example it, it in a conversation with a new york times reporter it tried to break up that reporter's marriage uh, in another case it, it it tried to simulate starting a nuclear war i mean there are all sorts of things uh examples as we have Pushed and prodded uh, at this tool over the last few months that we've learned that the more you talk to it the more likely it is to go off the rails and do things that we probably don't want it to do uh, so far obviously it's been benign we're still here I don't see th- I don't see mushroom clouds on the horizon um, but it left unchecked uh, you know we, we, we do run ourselves if we increasingly rely on this technology knowing that it will lie, hallucinate, go rogue, Uh, we will get ourselves into more trouble in future and we've got to figure that out. Technology needs to improve uh, and we also need to adjust our expectations as we use it. Uh, Leaning heavily on it as a sole diagnostic tool, probably not the world's best idea. Uh,
0: Another story here, COVID detecting AI also can help detect other types of conditions as well.
2: Yeah, this is really neat. So this comes to us from a researcher's name is Ashkan Ibadi, and basically what he did, and this is research that was funded by the federal government during the pandemic. You know, they wanted to be able to figure out how do we diagnose this new thing known as COVID. And of course, the problem is, is no one really knew what COVID was. We didn't have a whole lot of data on it. It's not like diagnosing, say, lung disease, where we have decades of data that we can feed into an artificial intelligence intelligence platform and it would learn from that data in this case that wasn't the case and so they had to come up with a new uh, basically a new way of doing it and they call it few shot learning so instead of uh, of researching tons of data it only required a far smaller set of data and it used a new technique to extrapolate a valid diagnosis a valid answer from a very limited amount of data. Uh, this comes to us from, it's. they're known as the Digital Technologies Research Center at the National Research Council. And it's, it's really one of the dividends of all of those billions of dollars that were spent in the medical community in the early part of the pandemic. And, and the problem with COVID is it hadn't been around for very long, so they didn't have huge amounts of data. They had to come up with a new technology. So the cool thing is is that it is ridiculously effective at uh, at at identifying covid which is fantastic um it can also explain how it came to that diagnosis so it's a much more precise and transparent process. Uh, and the cool thing is, is this can't just be used or won't only just be used for COVID. That technique, that few shot technique learning uh, can be used for all sorts of other diseases. So think cancer, tuberculosis, uh, lung disease, uh, and are they're already starting to apply it to different data sets across the medical community. And basically, it's it, it's a new way of diagnosing uh, in ways that previously were not available. It's absolutely huge breakthrough in diagnostic technology and all thanks to AI.
0: I think that's kind of one of the exciting uh, uses of AI—just its uh, capability to take in large amounts of information, scans, and things like that. We've talked about on the show how it can detect Parkinson's disease seven years mm-hmm. before it starts, just by looking at retina scans. And that's something that we just didn't have that capability before. I'm just I'm just excited to see what's going to happen in the next five, ten years. Uh, you know, in in the health. Uh, sector on on what that's going to do to help Me you know too. better outcomes uh, for you mm-hmm. know healthcare and life expectancy.
2: We know that the healthcare system is under is under stress. We have to do more with less, make better use of the res- resources that we've got. That's what AI does: is it replaces the expensive with the less expensive, and it makes these things far more accessible, far more effective, um, and it allows investments in uh, in healthcare to go a much longer way.
0: We're going to have to take a break. We're going to keep Carmi Levy on the line. There's a few more AI stories, stories I want to talk about, including a, uh, an app that uses AI to determine why your baby is crying. And you'll be surprised at some of the results. And also uh, an AI and a brain implant that's helped a, a woman that had a stroke speak again. You're listening to The App Show here on the Course Radio Network back after this. You are back with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here. I've uh, got my good friend Carmi Levy with me out of Toronto. Thanks for joining us again. Great to be here, Mike. We're uh, covering a few AI stories here. The next one uh, that uh, was on my list is uh, this uh, new app that uh, is like an AI baby cry translator. And we've seen this stuff before. Like there's been apps over the years that claim that they can tell you why your baby's crying or why your dog is barking. But this seems to have a little more accuracy to it.
2: Yeah, it absolutely does and the reason is be, is who's behind it. It's called uh, Baby Cry Insights app and it comes to us from a company called Ubenwa Health. They're a medical technology startup company uh, and it's backed by none other than Yoshua Bengio who is Canada's godfather of AI. He leads the Mila Institute in Quebec. That's the Quebec uh, AI Research Institute. He is basically a rock star in AI globally, uh, and he works right in our Canadian backyard. And so he's behind this. And so, yeah, it, it it looks like a lot of apps that claim to listen to your baby's cry and then give you insights into it. But this one is backed by some really advanced AI algorithms and technologies uh, that have been trained on thousands of clinically labeled recordings of babies crying so basically what they did was they went into the medical archives pulled out huge amounts of data and then trained the ai on this uh, and then allowed it to you know you know turn the ai loose on it so that it can derive deep insights into well what is it what is it hearing is the baby in pain is the baby hungry is the baby uncomfortable those are the top three and they found out that uh that 45 percent almost half of of all baby cries are due to pain that's according to the artificial intelligence and they say don't worry it's not that they're in massive pain. It's usually just a tummy ache or you know maybe they got a little boo-boo on their arm uh, just something is bothering them but it allows parents to be able to, to tell decode using AI with a very high degree of precision what's up with their baby so they can determine what next steps are it's almost, it's it's the answer to that age old question, you know, why is my kid crying? I wish I had had this when, when when my kids were young and I wish I could just go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store and it's available there now to download it and try it. It's remarkable technology and it's yet another example of, you know, AI gets a, a bit of a bum rap because You know, ChatGPT can do all sorts of weird things that we didn't expect, but in very controlled clinical situations like this one, it can also do some miraculous things. And this is a great example of that.
0: Babies, you can't fool us anymore. (laughs) We're we're on to you. Thanks to AI, we know your language. Okay, this next story is a feel-good story. A Regina woman who suffered a stroke is getting her voice back thanks to AI and a brain implant.
2: Her name is Ann Johnson. She had a brain stem stroke in 2005. uh, And ever since then, she's suffered from what's called locked-in syndrome, which is basically she is fully conscious, cognizant of what's going on around her, but she's paralyzed. She can't speak, she can't communicate. Uh, And so what they did was they installed um, a a bunch of electrodes in her brain and then connected those electrodes to a computer and then uh, scanned her brain as as they were exposing her her or Or asking her for different inputs and then trained the system to recognize the unique signals for speech Um, and then so essentially what they're doing is they're hacking her brain using technology that's powered by artificial intelligence to recognize that when she sends an electrical signal this is the word that she wants to say they then created an, an avatar and a voice and built an algorithm to synthesize her speech and the bottom line is is now thanks to this technology she speaks Uh, Whereas for 18 years, she could not. And it is, and and I say this, and again, you know, personally, some of our listeners may know, I suffered a stroke 10 years ago. I was locked in as well. Uh, Obviously, not for as long. Obviously, I've come back, thank goodness. However, I know what it's like to be on the inside and to have a technology like this for victims of traumatic brain injuries, stroke, and and other uh, major events like this would be life-changing. Bring them back to uh, the realm where they can communicate. Uh, This is nothing short of miraculous. I would love to see this uh, get the funding that it deserves so it's not just a one-off. Right now, this is uh, University of California at San Francisco as well as University of California at Berkeley. They've come together on this singular project, but it sets the precedent for others to do the same. Would love to see this happen more north of the border so that Canadians don't have to go to the US
0: again it's just so exciting you know uh this this use of ai and like i said earlier uh you know 5 to 10 years where are we going to be with some of these uh, advancements we can't even fathom that yet
2: yeah and i think that's what's exciting about it is you know we always talk about the dystopian hollywood future that it looks like you know arnold schwarzenegger in the terminator but the reality is We're going to see the technology applied first in situations like this medical cases where someone has lost some ability and we use AI powered technology to give them back that ability. Uh, And that is that's remarkable. And I think that sets a really cool kind of bar uh, for everyone else to follow that look to ai as a positive as a light not something that threatens us uh, and the medical community is clearly embracing that and they're even at this early stage uh they're already showing some incredibly promising therapies
0: in uh, our next story it's uh, a little concerning to me there uh, there's a humanoid robot that can fly an airplane just by reading the instruction manual i'm not uh, getting on uh, that plane carmy <laughs>
2: Uh, I think I will Uh, and I'll I'll explain why so it's called uh, PIBOT or you know pilot with a B uh, and it comes to us from Korea the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology they're associated with uh, Korea's Agency for Defense Development which is kind of like the US's DARPA Uh, they're always creating new technologies for military applications but this obviously has a commercial application as well basically it is a it's a robot with two arms and two hands and a full it's got ten fingers uh, on those hands and it can sit on the flight deck of an aircraft and it can actually manipulate the controls and fly it, they say, better than a human pilot can. It reads the manual, the aircraft training manual, and then it learns from that and knows how to fly the plane. Uh, Even in heavy turbulence, crosswind landings, all the crazy things that you see on YouTube, it is capable of safely taking off flying and landing and even speaking with air traffic control and interacting with them and then using that input to fly safely and not hit anything along the way. Um, this is, you know, they're, they're saying that they're hoping that this actually takes flight. It, they, they've tested it uh, on the ground, but they want to finish it by 2026, so three years from now. Um, and they do believe that the first application will be in the military. Um, but, you know, we know how the world works. If the military gets its hands on it, it's only a matter of time before commercial aviation comes comes calling. And we know that Airbus has been pushing for greater automation on its flight decks, and we know that they are trying to get a one- pilot flight deck certified um so you couple that with technology like this and i think it's only a matter of time before um you will have one pilot on a flight deck and then per, a human and then you will have a robotic pilot next to that individual doing most of the work uh i know we don't like it but it is coming and uh i'd rather see that and you know see a, a, an autopilot car driving down my street
0: yeah, we, uh, we did a story on uh, robot taxis um, mm-hmm. on Get Connected and because uh, San Francisco's launching 24-7 robot taxi service now from Waymo and Cruise. Uh, so you wouldn't get in a robot taxi? You'd, you'd, go uh, in a, you'd go in a plane flown by a robot before getting in a robot taxi.
2: Yeah, if you think about the the use case, and airplanes have had a less sophisticated form of automation in in, in you know, autopilot for decades, um, and and aviation is much more controlled application of this technology because you know airway are known, uh, you know, airports are known. Um, it's not like there's random traffic coming out of driveways like you have, uh, you know, on, on the ground. Um, and so if you're going to prove out the technology, what better place to do it than an aviation first? Uh, because once you get it down to driving on the ground, it's much less predictable, much more chaotic. Um, and in fact, the Waymo experiment just had a, a particular case where a bunch of taxis came to a dead halt in the middle of rush hour traffic because they didn't quite know what to do. And there was no one on board to actually reset them. So, you know, we're already seeing some pretty crazy examples of automated vehicles not doing what they're supposed to do, Um, but I would like to think that the aviation industry is somewhat different, and if we're going to prove out the technology, better in the sky than on the ground.
0: I wonder with these robot taxis, uh, are they going to have an option to reboot it in in case it... (laughs)
2: Yeah, it, it see, that, that's that. That's the thing. I don't want to be on my bike on on a road while a car is in the process, an automated vehicle is being in the process of reboot. You know, uh, of having a reboot or even needs one. That's kind of the problem. Is that when you're flying at thirty five thousand feet, you're not surrounded by pedestrians, people who are walking dogs, people who are riding bikes to work, folks who are just driving regular cars all around them. There's so many more variables, and I think the, the Tesla experience really does show there are limits to that we're still nowhere near full automation Uh, whereas in the sky very different story and there's it's it's almost like driving on a highway there are fewer variables that the system needs to encounter or deal with at any given time so it's a lot easier and I, I hesitate to use the word easier because it isn't easy but it's certainly there's a there's a much more linear path toward making this technology succeed
0: than there is in an automated vehicle on the ground so less to go wrong is essentially what you're summarizing
2: Pretty much, you know, we always tend to focus on oh, I'm I'm doing 400 miles an hour at 35,000 feet. That's scary, but uh, the reality is, is there are so many redundancies built into aircraft today, Um, and certainly there would be even more redundancies built into uh, an aircraft with this level of automation. Uh, And the industry bears that out. It is I I I stand and you know a multiple orders of magnitude chance of dying in my car on the way to the airport than I do in the air, and that's without that level of automation. Add even more automation and it probably gets way, way safer.
0: Well, Carmi, as always, I want to thank you for joining us on the program. Uh, always great to get your insight on the world of AI. Awesome being here, Mike. I really appreciate being here. When we come back from the break, a weird story. Uh, can a video game or a computer game help uh, scientists predict the outcomes of uh, combat or war? Well, some researchers in Australia think they've uh, found the answer uh, using one of my favorite games, Age of Empires 2, and uh, also ants, like real ants. You'll have to stay tuned to find out more. You're listening to the App Show here on the Course Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and Gray here. I I don't even know how to tease this story, Gray. Um, It involves one of my favorite games that's been around for more than 25 years now. They keep updating it, making like, high resolution versions and increasing the, um, I guess the intelligence of the, the computer players. It's called Age of Empires II. And my kids make fun of me because it's the only game I play. And I can play this thing for hours. And the reason I like it is because you start from the very beginning with you know, a few little villagers and you're building mines and uh, little forestry things to get resources. And then you build houses and ships and uh, you can pick different nations. Whether you want to be uh you know the English or the Persians or the Bulgarians, and then you try to build up your your society and your armies for combat and like I said, I can play this for hours. well, some scientists used Age of Empires too, and live ants to test theoretical ideas on combat <laughs> um <laughs>
1: This is, this is not the plot to the new ant movie. This is something that actually happened.
0: Yes. I, who, who put this out? What scientist put this out and got funding for it? But apparently what? the Australians. God bless them, right? University of Western Australia. Uh, some folks down there have uh, tested out what is the most effective combat way. Is it the size of the army? You know, like the sheer amount of people? And, and they used kind of like the real-world carnage of World War I. Like, is it more important to have army size or fighting strength? Hmm. Like a huge army or a smaller army but better, better trained? What do you think?
1: I'm going to go with the, the highly trained force.
0: Well, that's interesting. So they, they tested it with this Age of Empires, and uh, they chose kind of one of the higher-level uh, Teutonic Knights uh, they had the highest combat strength in the game and they then mm-hmm. uh, put them against two-handed swordsmen which was like a generic combat unit but you could make them like they were cheap and you could make lots of them and and they yeah. found, you know, for most of the, the battles of course the, the higher uh, combat strength knight would easily wipe out the swordsmen like five to one in most cases. Yeah. Uh, but things started changing depending on the environments, like how complex the environment was, like forests and trees and mountains. That made a huge, huge difference. And so the survival of the weaker unit was better in simpler terrain, apparently.
1: Okay, that makes sense, because you're the your enemy at that point.
0: Yeah. So then... <laughs> Again, I'm just amazed that they picked this 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 game. But then they compared that to um, like real world ants. So they um, took two types of ants, Argentine ants, which mm-hmm. a lot of people have rated them as the world's worst ants. Like they're very invasive. They're about two millimeters in, in length. Uh, they form large colonies with lots of queens. So they can bring a lot of, Combatants to the party, so to speak. And then yeah. they also put them against Australian meat ants which aren't as deadly and they eat mostly plants and they scavenge dead animals but they have size to their advantage. They're about four times the length of the Argentine ants. Hmm. Like they're, they're really uh, almost 40 times the weight of their Argentine opponents. So they, <laughs> they tried to make these guys fight I guess. But I guess the problem was that the the big Australian meat ants just they in most cases wouldn't fight. No. No. But again they found just depending on the terrain, uh, same they got the same results. The It, the, it sounds
1: like the, the, the Argentine ants were going for diplomatic victory.
0: Probably. Probably. <laughs> but just uh just kind of amazing um what you know, scientists can do with video games to test out some of these, these theories. So in the, in the world of video games, I, I don't know if you saw this story, uh, a very popular game, uh, call of duty. Mm-hmm. You, I played it. I haven't played it yep. recently. Um, so one of the uh, fun things about it is you can play it online against your friends and just anyone like there's literally hundreds of thousands of people right now playing call of duty online. And so these are huge multiplayer games People have got on their headsets and their microphones and, you know, they're, you know, having fun, like interacting with their friends. They're doing trash talk to their enemies. But one of the problems is, as you know, Gray, is just uh, all the toxic talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the racial slurs, hate speech. It, it is a problem. And so, as you can imagine, that, that's difficult for the video game publishers to police because the best they can do is just take the complaints. If someone's complaining about one of the, the players, that's how they get involved, I think, in most cases, right? So there's a, this new technology um, called Toxmod that basically is this AI that can scan in real time all the chat going on and be able to determine what's like hate speech or, or racial slurs. And in real time, cut those people off. Yeah, I don't know the, how the, I don't know how perfect that is. Like how many false positives there are, but I mean, a step in the right direction, I guess.
1: Well, and this is actually like it's it's right across a number of different games. Destiny Two has had bandwave wave after bandwave wave after bandwave wave of folks that are just they're, they're cheating, and it's yeah. it's become it's become so tiresome. You know, like all you want to do is just go out there, throw your hat into the ring, see if you got some good seal out, and and can you win? And you've got folks out there who have an unfair advantage. Me, you will know, shoot through walls, you know, um, bullet magnetism that gets a, gets a headshot right away. That's frustrating. Yeah. I, I don't want to play a PvP game
0: like that. It's funny. Speaking of cheating, uh, I don't know if you remember Quake, that game. I do. Quake Arena. Uh, so back in the '90s, uh, I was working at an internet company, and after work, because all the computers were networked together, we would all we would all play Quake. And so this is like a first-person shooter game, and you'd be you know running around a castle, you know, shooting your friends and, you know, the last man standing is the winner. And this was kind of the infancy of the, the multiplayer games. You know, you, you couldn't really play them on the internet yet. You had to be local. And so, yeah, the, so the fact that the we had all these, were... yeah, so we had all these computers networked together. It was just, I could play for hours. But I learned because I was going on to bulletin board systems and, you know, some of the early day chat rooms of the the start of the internet that you could, you could uh, insert little bot code into the, the game. Yeah. So I was able to put these uh, copies of my player, these bots that were, I guess they had artificial intelligence back then and they would just go through the castle. There was like three or four of them going and they would just wipe out everybody. And you could just hear everyone screaming, how is, how is Mike everywhere? He's everywhere. And it took them, it took them a week to figure out something was <laughs> something was amiss. Hey,
1: have we have we tried this this miracle solution?
0: Yeah. Anyway, it was it was funny funny at the time. Okay, we're gonna have to take a uh, a close to the show here. I was gonna say break, no, but it's the end of the program. So I want to thank oh. you, Gray, for coming on the show. And oh, glad to be here. Yeah. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Get Connected, every Saturday across the Chorus Radio Network. We had a great uh, uh, program or show this week. So, you know, so subscribe to the podcast of not only that, but uh, our show here, The App Show. We're talking about uh, robo taxis. They're launching them in uh, San Francisco. I mean, these are uh, self driving taxis with no human drivers, and they're going 24 7 now. And San Francisco is an interesting city for that to happen in. And do you have old video games or even VHS tapes? they might be worth money, thousands of dollars. We're going to talk with the folks at Heritage Auctions on what to look for in your crawlspace. space. <laughs> Thanks again, Gray, for joining us. Uh, Mike and Gray signing off. We'll see you again next time.